Welcome everyone to the Final Lap Podcast, the Formula One podcast where opinion is king and fact, like Max Chilton, is always there but never seen. I'm, <laughs> I'm your host, Andrew Pearson, and the man who's never heard the words Dean Glass is faster than you and my very good colleague is Sean Gray. Hi everybody, good evening. So, as we enter the off-season, we'll be taking the podcast to a new and interesting place as we choose one topic, debate, discern and generally dissect it. Uh, this week, we'll be looking at three car teams versus more teams at the back of the grid and seeing what we think is actually better for the sport. Um, but before we do all that, let's catch up with the latest goings-on in the F1 news. Woo! <laughs> I feel like we still have like, a wee intro there or something. It's... Like, dun, 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 the news at nine minutes past nine. Or whatever. <laughs> the news just after Strictly is finished. Uh... Over to Max with the news <laughs> at six. <laughs> Well, in which case, (laughs) with the news of today, uh, or of the last couple of days, I guess should be, is that uh, Sauber have generally made everybody slightly more happy in that they've chosen to keep on Esteban Gutierrez as their uh, second driver for next year, eschewing the um, possibility of putting in Sergei Sorokin, the 18-year-old non-license-having Russian, as their second driver. a good move, I think, uh, and and fair to Gutierrez, who had a a good end of season uh, last year. I think um, I'm happy to see him driving the Sauber again. I agree. Uh, this I, I think this this is what I said maybe two or three months ago. That I thought would happen. I thought when the the rumours about Sorokin uh, first first surfaced, I kind of thought, no, I, I don't I don't see that happening. I see them retaining Gutierrez and, and they have done because you know the reason they're bringing in Sorokin is obviously for money but they've got Gutierrez who also brings money and has a year experience under his belt Let, let's be honest Sorokin just isn't ready there's no way he can possibly be ready so yeah this is a good move for Cyber. they get the money in the door and they get a guy who for all intents and purposes was improving his form at the end of last season so they give him another shot and then at least if they do get rid of him next season he's had two years to prove what he can do so yeah this is a good move I've seen a lot of people online getting slightly snippy at people saying yeah this is really good and I'm glad that Esteban's been given another chance because they're saying oh well you know he's only gotten it he's only stayed on because he offers as much money as the Russian guy does from his um, Telmex sponsors or, or what have you. Um, but I think that misses the fundamental point that realistically they could have gotten anybody. I, I suspect there's probably drivers out there who could have offered more money than Esteban Gutierrez if they'd really wanted to. But they've you know they've made the choice to stick with this driver, this particular driver, who's who's done a season with them. So should yeah. we not all be really happy that in some way consistency has played its part in, in keeping somebody in F1? I'm permanently campaigning for teams to 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 keep their drivers from the year before to give guys like uh, your your Algasuaris and your uh, people like that. I'm permanently saying that they deserve the chance to show what they can do over the course of more than one season. So you're not going to find me uh, bad mouth and sober for this move. I think this is exactly what more teams should be doing. As proven by a team like Lotus, who's stuck by Grosjean, who's now coming on leaps and bounds. It, it, show, it's, it's, it shows exactly what can happen. And, you know, obviously, it isn't always going to work out, but 
give them a chance and it might and you could end up with a, a potential world champion on your hands but if you cut them loose after one season you're never going to know no you're absolutely right it's there's a a good parallel with football managers isn't there absolutely in the... is. i was honestly i could have could have continued there and said that exact phrase i was definitely i was thinking it as i was speaking it's exactly the same as football managers especially relevant now given the um the sacking season as this is they call it at the moment in december every bloody manager left right and center seems to be losing i bet there's been a manager fired between me having my tea and starting this podcast it's that bad at the moment so yeah it's absolutely the same thing managers need time to gel their team and get get settled into the role formula one drivers are exactly the same you know especially especially in something like formula one where um where there's a massive step up from wherever anybody else can have come from it, it is a different league these are the pinnacle of motorsport cars you know they're the fastest multi-turn multi-directional cars you can drive um let's not forget that and how can anybody be expected to do any job in a year absolutely it's, i think we've covered it briefly in the past and i'm sure we'll do some more in depth possibly even later but the uh the gp2 series and the, the formula renault series which is the two main feeder series for formula one at the moment they just are they are it's a completely different ball game uh and a step up from formula one i like love watching gp2 it's a good spectator sport but it's just so crash bang wallet it's bumper uh, cars isn't it that's yeah, the uh, so that, uh, and, and you notice that in, in rookies who have been promoted from its first season in f1 you see that in guys like fucking Gutierrez and Grosjean, who their first six months in the in the sport, they're you notice that you can tell they've come from GP two. Like I could probably not watch Formula One for an entire season or something and not really follow any of the names and just and, and come back for one race and be able to tell, yeah, that guy's just been promoted from GP two. I can tell by looking at him because they are they're so gung ho and eager to impress, and they end up putting it into the side of a Ferrari at the first corner or something like Grosjean's been doing before he, before this season. So, uh, yeah, they need, essentially, that's what I'm saying, they need time to to, to learn how to be a Formula One driver. You're not going to get it overnight. And so it's great to see Sauber sticking with their guy, who, as you said, did improve towards the end of last season. Exact same can be said for Williams, sticking by Valtteri Bottas absolutely deserves at least a second season to see show what he can do exact same thing and i'll always be pleased when teams do show that faith in the younger guy because like too often guys get booted before they can really give a chance and it's really difficult for them to get back in look at alwishwari for example he he left toro rosso with, with his head held high he's he had a good season a good solid season at toro rosso and yet he can't he's not even linked with any of the seats no, he's a he's a pundit now, isn't he? Yeah. On a... He's not. He's not even. He's not even rumored to be coming back or anything like that. He's not even close to a drive. And and what exactly? Can anybody? You couldn't tell me what he did wrong. He didn't set the world on fire, but he got several good points finishes. He was I solid. Thought, I certainly thought he was better than Sebastian Buemi, who's, you know, been yeah. a reserve driver at Red Bull for the last two years. And I. Yeah. So just Alvaro is just a great example about how. They need more time, and they deserve more time because they're pr- not only that. They're not. It's not like 
fair enough, you get some guys who are in GP2 for a long time, guys like Maldonado who was there for years and then finally got promoted to F1. But quite often, these kids are doing karting for five years until they're about 16. Then they're in uh, single-seater Formula Ford for a couple of years and then they've one season in GP3 or GP2 and then they're in a Formula 1 car by the time they're 19 and 20 these days. Al Gishwari was 19, his Russian kid's 18, the Kvyat guy, or whatever, however you fucking say his name, is only 18. <laughs> Cinquecento, isn't it? It's Fiat. Think of... <laughs> <laughs> then you've got Gutierrez, who's just a baby. Perez was young when he got put in the car. These guys are only in GP2 for maybe one season quite often. And... Do you know, there's something... I, I've never really looked into it, and it's... Because, obviously our current reigning world champion, four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel, started very young. Yeah, he's exactly the same, but he obviously... But I, I, case, so. Indeed. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, he's probably got that extra, extra factor mm -hmm. uh, that others don't have. But I, I wonder what his journey was before he got into the Toro Rosso? I, I, wanna, uh, I should look but, into it and well, see. He was, a, he was a test driver for BMW Sauber. So I'm just wondering, has he had a lot more time around Formula One before he got that Toro Rosso seat and then got the Red Bull drive? And and I guess that's another thing you've got to remember about um, Vettel is that he didn't go into the Red Bull team and like immediately win absolutely everything. He was close. No, you're right. I mean, admittedly, he had to compete with Braun in his first season at Red Bull. Whereas they turned up and won the first six or seven races with a double diffuser thing. So that was obviously a factor, but certainly in his first season and even in his second season, it was kind of, him and Weber were more or less sort of equal. I mean, not in the eyes of the management, but you yeah, know, on, on the track, Weber was holding his own for a long time. He was winning races. He was right in the hunt for the title, you know? So... And then, obviously, it's in the last couple of years that he's really just went on a whole different level, Vettel, and just taken it to the extreme. So, again, are we talking about somebody who's had maybe five years of Formula One, really, before he got dropped into the expectation of winning things? Oh, well, he was a test driver for BMW. That's how he started it. The thing is, yeah, when he was in... He didn't win the... 3, E3.5 series that he was in and he didn't win um, the feeder series before that, that he was in the Formula 3 Euro series I don't quite know what that is exactly but it's obviously one of the junior formula he, he didn't win much of his junior junior career he, he, he was second in one of them and, what, and a third in another one so yeah uh, you have to go back all the way to when he was a real baby find out what to, to junior formula that he won so it wasn't like he was dominating at, at the lower levels but obviously when he got put in a formula one car something just clicked i don't know quite what it was but here we are but yeah he was in uh he was a test driver in 06 and then yeah. he got and then he got eight races in 07 and then in 08 is when he was a full-time at toro rosso and he won the Monza Grand Prix. So he'd only had maybe, he had less than 10 races under his belt before the season where he won his, his first Grand Prix. Yeah. So he obviously, it, like, like we say, he just did have some special talent that 
with all due respect to the guys like Alga Schwari, they clearly don't have. Vettel's a once-in-a-lifetime guy. But that doesn't mean these guys shouldn't get time to, to develop and show what they can do. Like, not everybody is going to be Sebastian Vettel. And, and it's almost like teams think that, that they are. It's almost like teams think, oh, well, if he hasn't come in and started lighting things up after one season, then that's, let's chuck them and try a next guy. And, like, well, how many guys are they going to go through before you find another Sebastian Vettel or Fernando Alonso? Like, what, a hundred fucking different drivers? These guys don't come along every bloody two minutes. No. No, but that that, that does seem to be where the driver market is. Um... That's the way the, the team bosses are, seem to look at it, anyway. They want to get them and make them theirs and have them for years and years. But, um, yeah, uh, you, you know, I think people people look back and remember talents like Schumacher and Senna and Prost and um, and all of those other really great champions. And it, it maybe feels like the fields of the past. <laughs> You're right, Sean. <laughs> Sounded like you just dropped dead then. Sounded big thuds. <laughs> That probably sounded lower, like uh, louder to you than it actually was because it was the desk at the laptop with the mic. <laughs> it was just a tiny little tap that probably sounded like an earthquake. To you. It did. I thought you'd been shot or something. <laughs> Jesus. As Dean in the in the in the tree line with sniper rifle taking you out. Probably. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, I think people think of in the past there being these huge. Um, grids full of the most uber talented people um uh, and then when you if you really analyze who was driving for who at the time it, it's no different than today in that there are sort of a top six drivers who are all really good um and the the rest of the field is is driven by people who are just never destined to be world champions you know yeah mark Genes and robert Dornbosses and um luca Badoas and all of those kind of bits and pieces. So, Felipe Masses. Oh well, that's a bit harsh on Felipe. <laughs> I, isn't he? I am the, I'm the biggest Felipe fan. Yeah, I love Felipe Masses. It's a bit like saying that <laughs> Gerard Berger wasn't a amazing yeah. driver or Jean Alesi or. Um, but oh. that's that's what I mean. That, but and even those guys who didn't win world championships um, were clearly talented drivers. So it's like, where's the what's the expectation that you know? That every driver that you ever put in a car is always going to be, you know, Ayrton Senna, Sebastian Vettel, Michael Schumacher, whatever. Or, or do we just have to say they're not always going to be like that, but we can make the best out of who we can get? It's just, you know. Uh, to me, uh, they need to at least give two seasons. You can't make a judgment on one season because, as we've covered before, the first six months, you're just finding your feet you're you're learning how to not plow into the side of anybody at the first corner uh yeah you're properly properly finding out what's going on in acclimatizing and then by the time you've done that you've only got five or six races left to kind of like okay now that now i've got it let me show what i can do and by that time teams have already made a decision on you yeah. so you, you, they need to give them at least two years and that you couldn't really force a, a, a team to it's kind of like right now and there's a lot of debates about these zero hour contracts and it's like well can we outlaw that in, in the workplace I don't think you can and I don't think you can outlaw one year contracts in Formula 1 but <laughs> maybe some sort of non-official verbal agreement or something between all teams I don't know 
one of these Concord agreements or something. That just because otherwise, these drivers are just. But you'll get your Jamie Halgaswari who after at 23, he's 23 years old, his career's <laughs> effectively over. Yeah. He's a yeah. pundit at 23. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is that? I don't think Michael Mansell got into Formula 1 until he was about 30. Yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. Absolutely right. I don't know. I feel like some... And, and, and in a way, this discussion we're having it now relates quite a lot to the topic we're going to discuss in a little while, which is three-car teams, which could certainly open up an avenue for a lot of these drivers, as I'm sure we'll discuss. Yes, I think there's definitely, when we look at it, there'll be different ways that it could benefit getting younger, you know, getting new drivers time in a car, proper time in a car, racing experience. Yep, absolutely. So, so Nick, what, sorry. I was going about the news anyway, yeah. Like, <laughs> Sauber, was there a few other things? It has been a fairly quiet news day, or news week, really. Um, Nico Rosberg um, has requested a new pair of underpants. After, <laughs> uh, no, he literally did, on the radio, <laughs> requested a new pair of underpants after suffering a tyre blur at, at 320 kilometres an hour. How much um, is that in English money? What's that in miles per hour? Uh, um, 20, that must be about 180 or something. Yeah, it's got to be, yeah. Two hundred, Nearly 200 perhaps, yeah. So I would have thought something around that. Um, top speed, anyway, I think we can, say, <laughs> we can safely say. Um, Richard, Richard Hammond levels of speed, that, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Pirelli confirmed that the tyre he was running at the time was... Um, an experimental tyre, so um, I guess they've learned that the, that tyre is probably not the one to go with. <laughs> yeah, I think so, eh? <laughs> Just it, it never rains but it pours for Pirelli, does it? Like, there's never any, you never hear a driver comes out and says, Pirelli tyre's good. Like, he's never, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's almost a spoof article headline. Like, it's that un- unlikely. Like, it's just constant negativity. Poor, poor, the PR and uh, marketing department must be in absolute overdrive. Like, right? I tell you, the, the day that they catch Lewis Hamilton on the radio saying, "Yeah, tires, tires feel feel good. I'm going to push," <laughs> is the day that everybody in Pirelli has an immediate orgasm. It's just... it is, it is. Uh, genuinely that's a spoof headline. Hamilton pushes on Pirelli tires. <laughs> not going to happen. I'm. I'm, a, I'm the one that at the end of the Bridgestone era said, oh, yeah, let's try these Pirelli tyres. This should be great fun. Now I'm like, okay, yeah, we've had enough we've had that. <laughs> we've had, that's enough of that. Let's make them last a little bit longer. I want to see drivers flat out, even if it means one-stop races for the time being or whatever. I just feel like that would be for the best ever for the time being. I want to see what a, a, a Mercedes with Lewis Hamilton at the wheel with tyres that are going to last 30 laps versus a Red Bull with Vettel at the wheel with tyres that are going to last 30, 30 laps in a straight fight pushing all the way and then and see what happens because you never know, Like it'll be a real test of where the Mercedes has come and then also Hamilton versus Vettel and the driver uh, ability. So. I mean, that's what I want to see from the start of next year. I mean, there's something to be said about the point that um, we had the Bridgestone era when, you know, the tyres lasted all race and all the other bits and pieces. But <clears throat> um, 
we've got Kurzen DRS now, haven't we? Both aids in overtaking. Yeah. yeah. So are tyres that last longer as much as a, of a problem um, when somebody when the problem was that somebody would be trailing somebody in the dirty air on tyres that lasted forever? That meant that their performance didn't drop. You know, for it's a good point. Thirty yeah. forty laps of a sixty lap race, but if if it, if the tyres aren't the be all and end all, you know, if the tyres don't take the hit, but you've given people the ability to, you know, close in and stuff with with DRS and curves, or is that too artificial? Are we just playing back into the hands of saying, you know, it's all Mario Kart? You press the button, you get to overtake. Yeah, uh, I hear. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of what the. I think on my feet what the best solution is. I'm not even sure. Uh, probably, probably is a bit artificial. But then it's artificial now anyway, with the tires going off. You know, but, someone comes up behind you with five laps younger tires. You know they're going to pass. It's, but that's uh, that's always historically that's been the case. Yeah. That that was one of the defining factors about you know how people went out racing is that they. Um, they pushed on the tyres or didn't push on the tyres, but that was the only thing, and you it was, you know. Um, it's difficult because but, I do like. But also, the pit stops were a lot longer in those days because you refueled as well. Well, yeah, you know, you know where we both stand on refueling, like that's. So, becoming... the, the, I think the problem is, is that a pit stop isn't a, a, a two-second, three-second pit stop, even Loaded if you add in the other twist, isn't the handicap. It was in the old days where you came in, you changed your tyres in eight seconds. All right, so that's longer, but it was because the fuel nozzle would be on for 15 seconds. So you didn't have to kill yourself to get the tyres on um, in, in three seconds because you weren't the bit that was always going to be slowest in the stop. Um, you know, again, so that, you know, it, it then became that running on slower tyres for longer might be a better solution because you'd sorted something out with your refueling so that you know you'd you done you knew the stint where you were going to run your tires to the you know out of tread completely bold was when you were going to be lowest on fuel and so you balanced it out that way against somebody who would have fresh tires and a full tank of petrol to hunt people down at the end of the race yeah, it's all just strategy, isn't it? Like that's that's what F one is lacking brutally at the moment is as actual strategy. But I think that's that's the problem. That's the problem Pirelli have faced. Is they've been asked for these flaky tyres to go back to the old school racing, but we've got none of the other other bits that made old school racing what it was. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, the day they reintroduce refueling is the day that <laughs> I think I'll. Go to the pub and celebrate, I'll be that pleased, because it's absolutely the biggest problem with F1 at the moment. It's the single-handed biggest problem with F1. Uh, unless you want to, you get people on the internet that go on and on about distribution of wealth and things like that, but from us, I'm not that interested in that. I'm interested in getting up on a Sunday and watching the most entertaining Grand Prix that I can. And to me, the biggest thing that will make that the case is to introduce refueling and bring back true strategy bring back I, would, I, I not only would introduce refueling but I'd you'd have to you obviously you'd qualify with the fuel that you want to, that you start the race with in Q3 so you could fucking put five laps of fuel and do a Yarno Trulli and stick it on pole 
or and then fill up fat and go for the tenth place on the grid, but with a fat car fuel or whatever, it just adds so many more di dimensions to actual race day. Like, uh, it's almost obvious. It's so obvious that that's what would make excitement that you just can't quite understand why they're not doing it other right. than like and i know there's a safety aspect but i just i don't believe i'm not buying that as a big enough excuse if so, like if someone said oh but with the safety i'd say no i don't care <laughs> that's not that's not good enough reason to not have all of this good things i mean if you think about like williams had those two um wheel nut failures that's a bigger safety issue than any of you <clears throat> but what they did was in, they introduced a slower safer system didn't they it meant that their pit stops were a second slower than everybody else's, but the wheels didn't fall off the car. So you, you can't tell me that there is an alternative to the dangerous old refueling, if you even want to think it yeah. was that dangerous. You mentioned this last week, and I, I completely agreed with you. It's, there, there is definitely, there will definitely be a way that it can be done. I don't, I just don't believe that in this day and age, with all the technology we've got, we can't refuel cars. <laughs> <laughs> If you and I can manage to do it on a daily basis, yeah. you know what I mean? Single-handedly. They've got 25 guys helping them. <laughs> <laughs> when you go to the... Well, I don't drive, but when you go to the petrol station, you get out your car and do it yourself. That's what we should do. Yes. Get out the cockpit. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. That's the best idea I've ever heard. I'd love it. It com com comes out with a little nozzle, and he gets to sit there tapping his foot as it goes around and... <laughs> That would that would be a that would be a true test of pit stop speed. You'd have Fernando Alonso and Jensen Button, the fitness freaks, running out there. Yeah. Uh, I'd love it if they then had to also go into the garage and pay for it on a fuel, <laughs> on the fuel card. Or they'd have, no, they'll be self scan in this day and age. You just pop your money in. <laughs> <coughs> oh dear, uh, brilliant. That's that's it. We've come up with a solution for everything. I hope you're I hope you're listening, Jean Todd. We've we've got all the answers on this podcast. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Pirelli confirmed Rosberg's tyre was an experiment. So we'll wait and see. Do, is there any? Is there any sort of idea what kind of tyres we're going to get next year? Is it going to be more of the same? Has there been any rumours? I, uh, I I think they're going more conservative. Um, okay. Which you can hardly blame them for. Really. No. Yeah. Well, especially after what was it Silverstone this year and obviously the whole fucking issue with Red Bull changing wanting lobbying for changes and stuff and other teams not lobbying and as we know that ended up with a Sebastian Vettel winning streak. But if we start from the season with a level playing field and hopefully the teams won't be as uh, penalised as they were when they changed them halfway through the season. Absolutely, they'll know what to expect hypothetically. So, so in yeah. other in other news, um, well, news uh, just shows you the bottom of the barrel that we're scraping. Uh, Max Chilton is close <laughs> in, in commas to a new Marussia deal. I think um, that's the same as what three months ago, two months ago, one month ago. Is that 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 article has just been recycled like five times so far in the last three months? Like, yeah. Is it him that said it himself? I think I think so. When when asked, <laughs> are you close to a new deal? He's gone, yes. <laughs> Nobody said any closer than the last time we asked you? Because the answer to that is probably no. There's an interesting, uh, an interesting article that says John Eric Verne admits he was disappointed to be overlooked for the Red Bull seat. 
<laughs> I just find that a little bit amusing. He was never, ever going to get the Red Bull seat in a month. I was closer to the Red Bull seat than <laughs> Eric Van. <laughs> Fucking your friend Ants, who went to the Monza Grand Prix, cut to see a Red Bull, was definitely closer yeah. to the Red Bull seat than John Eric Van. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's just, just not going to happen. Him. Ricardo was extremely lucky to get it. Never mind fucking Verne, he's been hopeless. So. Absolutely, absolutely anonymous. Uh, oh, and also finally, Mercedes, have, this is quite interesting bit of news, I thought, have stolen a couple of uh, backroom Red Bull guys to work on their uh, aero things next year. The chief engineer of vehicle dynamics and the chief engineer of simulation, whatever they do exactly. Not 100% sure, but uh, taking guys away from Red Bull can probably only be a good thing. <laughs> well, that's the that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? Is that if you think about it, that's three guys Mercedes of uh, Red Bull have lost at the end of this season. They lost uh, Peter uh, Podmaru, I think his name is, um, to it's McLaren, isn't to it? McLaren, and then they've lost an, an aero guy and a simulation. And the simulation guy is quite interesting, isn't it? Because um, these days there's so much work done in the simulation in the simulator. So much. Yeah, but without the, testing, yeah, like you know, so much of the setup every weekend is done on what guys like Anthony Davidson do in a in a simulator. As good as good as Adrian Newey obviously is. He's the best aero guy Formula One's ever seen, but you have to, like, surely these guys are a huge part of what's made the Red Bull so fast in the last five years. Like so, it's, it's, it's surely got to affect them. I mean, if, if if Adrian was doing it all himself and it's all him the last few years, then why would these guys be there? They're obviously there for a reason, and these teams like McLaren and Mercedes have taken them on for a reason. So it's obviously going to have an effect. It's kind of like, again with the football analogy, it's almost like uh, top coaches at Man United going to Barcelona or whatever, or vice versa. It's like, the manager does obviously a great deal, but the coaches are the guys that are doing the things on a day-to-day -day basis. And it's similar here, so good stuff in terms of a neutral like myself hoping for a competitive year next season. More, more uh, anything that takes uh, advantage away from Red Bull is good in my eyes. Yeah, no, uh, uh, absolutely. Um, Ideally, in my mind, they take away from Red Bull a little bit and add a little bit to Mercedes, but just just enough so that it's pretty much evened out. Like, you wouldn't want Red Bull to completely... Like, you wouldn't want Red Bull to be a McLaren of this year, you know, just completely off the pace. Yeah. That that wouldn't be any fun either. You want it to be, you want it to be absolutely bang perfect, bang bang even, and then we've got a proper fight on our hands. So all we can say at the end of every article is hopefully that's what we'll get. Hopefully that is what we'll get. We've got three months to find out. We've got some uh, testing. Uh, I believe it starts in January, so hopefully that'll be the first indication that we'll get. Hopefully, hopefully good things to come from next year. Absolutely. Um... Is yeah. there any other, uh, any other news? Yeah, I think that's it, to be fair. We are we are off-season, so to speak, and with so many of the driver lineups being confirmed, it's um, there's not much left going around. In fact, realistically, if we take Chilton as being, you know, red that he's in the seat, that really only leaves the two Caterham drives yet to be confirmed. Nothing much about Caterham at all this last week, so they're obviously doing things 
quite quietly behind closed doors, and I'm sure we'll probably end up with a double announcement. Just, we'll, we'll, there'll be nothing, we'll probably hear nothing for a month, and then bang, here we go, here's our two drivers. So. We'll wait and see, I guess. Just another little, uh, a little interesting thing that, that I just thought was, uh, that definitely made me smile, was Eddie Irvin's comments on, on Lewis Hamilton, criticising him for his showbiz nature. I just thought, you're Eddie Irvin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> uh, if he hadn't have come out in the press and said that he thought that the uh, double points idea was bullshit, um, oh, <laughs> I wouldn't give him anything, but... I don't dislike Eddie Irvin in the way that a lot of people do. I actually quite like the guy, but I just... Pot kettle and black comes to mind. It's yeah. Just, it's I'm on a bit sure, but anyway. But... And, and, and exactly how many world titles did Eddie Irvin actually win? That's it. <laughs> Only one less than Lewis Hamilton. <laughs> how, many, how many chances did Eddie Irvin have to win a world championship? <laughs> one. one. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the reason for that? Schumacher broke his leg. <laughs> yeah, um, that's it, pretty much, for uh, F1 News. Uh, I'm sure there'll be more to come in the next few weeks with when testing starts and things like that. They'll give us a nice a nice subject to talk about. The, the testing's always fun. I remember in 2009 when Ross Braun turned up, brought the Braun team, and, you know, overnight, they were somehow a second a lap faster than everybody else. I was like, what the hell's going on here? <laughs> but... Uh, not quite at that stage in the off-season yet, so unfortunately that's it in terms of news. Indeed. So I think that takes us nicely into uh, the new format that we should be uh, running throughout the uh, off-season until we really get back into uh, the F1 season proper. Uh, and we'll be taking a discussion topic and picking it apart and seeing what we make of it. Um, so it's just going to be me and Sean tonight, but uh, hopefully if anybody's listening and you, you listen to how we're, what we're talking about and how we're talking about it, and you want to come on and uh, give your opinion on uh, whatever the next topic is. We'll try and announce that over uh, Twitter and Facebook. Um, please feel free and come along and, and join in and tell us exactly why we're talking so much crap. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so tonight we're going to be discussing uh, the possibility of three-car teams um, versus the uh, situation essentially we have now where new teams are added on uh, essentially to the the back of the grid um, new teams coming in to fill spaces on the grid um, this really kind of kicked off for me uh, at the end of the season when everybody was talking about the finances and it was it was put in a in a few team principal uh, conferences uh, on the race days um, and the bigger teams such as Mercedes and uh, Ferrari definitely came out and said if there was ever a need for three car teams we would do it um, but that's that's not what our our aim to do is um, and then you know we we've had this discussion on multiple occasions uh, with multiple people and on Twitter and on the forums and bits and pieces that Basically, what function do teams like Caterham and Mauritius and um, HRT, what do they perform for the sport of F1? Um, and whether it shouldn't just be a case that we lose enough teams to require three-car teams, is three-car teams the best way to um, 
to run F1. Um, just as a as a beginning point, Sean, do you feel that teams like Mauricio, Caterham, HRT, um, maybe even historically sort of teams like Minardi, um, Arrows, those kind of teams, do they bring anything to the sport? It's a difficult one. I'm, I'm very, I'm very conflicted on the issue. I've got a list of pros and cons in front of me. It's, it's a really difficult one because there's the, the sort of heartless side of me that does exist that makes me want to almost say, no, they, they don't bring anything. They're just there to get lapped. They're just there to be back markers. What's the point? But then at the same time, you know, there's the the other side that, that says, well, the reason they're like that is because of an unfair distribution of wealth and stuff. And because they, they don't have the chance to, to develop and spend the money the way the big teams do. So it's not really their fault. So they shouldn't be penalised for it because it isn't their fault. So it is, it's a very difficult... One, first of all, I'd like to see three car teams, but that doesn't mean that I don't want teams like Marussia and Caterham. I, I would just like three car teams and backmarkers because if you if you if you run three car teams and then you you take out you, you lose an, a backmarker team who who can't compete or whatever, eventually you're just going to end up with maybe six or seven teams with three cars. And there'll be 18 to 21 cars on the grid. But then one of those six or seven then becomes the back marker. And then what happens? Eventually you'll only end up with about four teams. And, and that's not good. That's not what we want to go for. So it's all about finding a way to keep maybe keep 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 nine, ten teams, but also run three car uh, three cars. If that meant running 30 cars on the grid, I would do it. I don't know whether it's practical, but... How, it's, how been, many, it's been done before. Yeah, you know in, what the, I mean? we, in the 70s and 80s, you used to have like 25 to 30 cars on the grid. Well, the, uh, the other thing that they used to do, and, and it, we forget that the 107, 105% rule yep, I was, just was gonna brought in for that exact reason, is that you'd have 30 cars turn up, um, but not all of them would be quick enough, so not all of them would actually start um i would absolutely i would if, if that's the way it was run now and there was 28 29 teams or what 29 cars or whatever and they did the 107 rule and four or five cars missed out so be it you know and that's the way and you i would enforce the rule and none of this oh but we probably are quick enough so just let us race pish that you get just now no you the rules are there for a reason and they should be enforced and that if that's, the, if that's the way that it, it, tomorrow we woke up and that's the way it was going to be, I'd, 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 I'd go with that. I think that's, I think that'd be all right. But like I say, you just need to be careful that putting three car teams wouldn't take backmarkers out of out of business because then all that happens is that you lose a couple of backmarkers and then over time, if it continues, you lose another. And you would, you just end up with Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari and McLaren all running five car teams. And that isn't any good. So, so um, you need to come up with a system that 
that if if you want to go with three card teams, you need to come up with a system that is that you can keep the back markers, but also give the three card teams, which is finding the middle ground, so to speak, and it, it's coming up with that. So, what's been said, uh, and although Ferrari have come out and said that they don't want to do it this way, would be the return of custom cars. Yeah. Um, so that you have uh, teams either buy the chassis directly from um, uh, from one of the top teams, or they receive the chassis from the previous year. I am not against that. The I mean, that's essentially how Toro Rosso started. Is yeah. they would they would get the Red Bull chassis from the from the year before and then see what they could do with it. Um, I'm not against that because. It's, it's like franchising in a business, you know? You can run a McDonald's without being a true McDonald's. You, you, you buy all the bits and you run the business yourself and you take the profits and you just pay a dividend to the... Are you the telling fund. me that Ronald McDonald doesn't run every McDonald's, Sean? Uh, I've seen him in my one earlier, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I, I'm not against that. And the argument you hear online for being against the... The, the custom car thing is, oh, it's, it's this whole idea that a team designs a car so they, it needs to run in their colours and it's about the sort of old school mentality of being pr- that, of proud to run that car and, and that car that's unique to that team and all that. But I don't really, I don't really buy into any of that kind of thing. It, it's, it's pretty meaningless to me. I want, like I said before, I want to see the best entertainment. And I think John Smith turning up... Uh, uh, Australia with a, fat, a wallet full of cash and saying, oh, can, I, can I buy two of your Red Bulls, please? And buying two of these Red Bulls and then going off and finding a couple of drivers and sticking them in it and seeing if they can compete with the actual Red Bull team, that to me provides interest in television on a Sunday afternoon. I mean, if you if you consider, in, again, again, in the past, when you look back at the certainly if you think about the Chapman, John Chapman Lotus team, that's how they started out. Yeah, absolutely. They, they built chassis for other people for prices. It's, it's not a new thing, is it? This custom car argument. It's not a new thing at all. Like you say, it's as early as back as Toro Rosso. It's only a few years ago. That's what they were doing. And obviously, I think the rules came into play that said that they couldn't do that anymore and that Toro Rosso had to design their own chassis. But to me, you know, it's like... Uh, there should be like a free market if a team has wants to sell it off to a competitor and the competitor has the money to pay for it, then I say let them, you know? I mean, it, at the end of the day, if, you're, if it's something like a, you know, it's chassis or, um, you know, the design of how the engine and curves and all the other bits and pieces all fit in, and they're giving them none of the aero stuff, none of the raw data, none of the testing data, because um, that, that's all the stuff that separates your team from, you know... Yeah. If you think about um, uh, Brazil this year, where it pissed down so heavily, people couldn't do any running and the cars just had to go out on whatever the best guest guess setup was, and you saw that the top cars weren't necess- you know, were really handicapped by having poor setup because they guessed one way and it and it wasn't, you know, the McLarens were that little bit better because their base setup is, you know, was by by default better than some of the other teams um so you you can't tell me that it just because you gave somebody a red bull chassis you know and the configuration about how to stick an engine and a curse unit in it 
that they'd automatically be at the front of the grid. No, they definitely wouldn't. Half the Red Bull grip comes from the front end, so... Or the exhaust, do you know what yeah. I mean? If you don't give them that side of it, or, you know... Um... And just because you're giving them the chassis, you know, the team still has to then hire the engineers, hire the drivers, you know, uh, come up with the strategies. There's thousands of other different factors. I mean, think. I guess you could think of the Braun car as being a customer car because it was a Honda car. It was just oh, yeah. Honda up until the point that Honda said, well, fuck it, we're not doing this anymore. <laughs> and Braun said, fine, I'll buy, I'll... I'll buy all your stuff then. Yeah, it's exactly the same. And the only difference is there is obviously Honda weren't still in the sport. But yeah, like I said, I don't, I'm, I'm absolutely not, not against that idea. Uh, but then again, I also like three-car teams. I've said this point already twice now. I just want to make it entertaining for myself. Well, the so, and that, to me, is entertaining. So why could we, could we when we say a three-car team, is that we say two works cars uh, and one privateer car, basically, or one yeah. car being run by another team, essentially? Um, what I would do, I wouldn't necessarily do what... What you've just said there. What I, what what I would do is you have three cars, and at the start of the season, you have two cars that will be constructor points cars, and everybody nominates the top two cars for constructor points, and the third car isn't eligible for constructor points, and they're just eligible in the drivers championship. So that way, it would kind of make it fair. Say if the back markers only have uh, two cars, they can only afford to run two cars or whatever, then they're not penalising the Constructors' Championship because say, for example, the third Ferrari is 10th and the Caterham is 11th, then the third Ferrari isn't eligible for Constructor points, so that one point would go to the Caterham and that and that helps there. I don't like that idea. You don't like that idea? Only no. because it means that the way that people finish isn't recognised. Do you know what I mean? It's the idea that you could finish first in a race, um, and it's only it only means half as much because you happen to be the third car. That's why I just like that's why I like the idea of that you you have a a third car that is run by somebody different. It's you know it's no different to Toro Rosso realistically. Um, Toro Rosso is in itself supposed to be a completely well, utter different entity than Red Bull. Um, we 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 know it isn't, and we know that they managed to somehow get out of the way of the Red Bull cars at every possible opportunity and um, all those bits and pieces but um, it doesn't stop them scoring points and even taking points off you know off of um, the parent company whereas I think if you have a third team that's a third car that's just part of the other team doesn't really matter I don't I don't see what's in it for the teams uh, well, because that's a lot of expense for a team to say. Yeah, you've got to lug around a third car, and it doesn't really mean any difference to your team. It means it to the driver, but you know. True, true. I'm just uh, sort of thinking as we go here, but yeah, you make oh, it I, I know, I know. I'm. It's you know. Uh, I'm just yeah. telling. I'm telling you why I don't think it's. A good yeah, thing. no, no, and you make good points. You know, you make good points. You can't really argue with that. But then would you have? Two, two Ferrari cars in a Ferrari garage and then a third Ferrari car 
completely separate, like like the Tauros team essentially, just yes. different garage, different mechanics, different everything. Yeah, they would be their own. So that's basically own. a custom car, customer car then. Yes. Yeah, You're thinking the absolute best solution you think if we were going to go down that route, you would you would go with customer cars. Is that what you would like to see? It is because I think it. I think that's the way that you reduce the expense. Okay. You you take out base chassis design from somebody's budget essentially all that they, all they've then got to do is do the front end and the back end and sh and fly it around everywhere so you would be in favor of a rule say they released a rule tomorrow that said right customer cars are allowed and you would you would like to see marussia and caterham turn up in 2014 with marussia a ferrari mm. ferrari ferrari chassis but with all the rest of it their own bits you'd, you'd think that would be You'd like to see that, or you wouldn't like to see that? No, uh, what I'm suggesting is, is that um, a Mauricio or a Caton that want to be their own team and design all their own bits and pieces and what have you would still be the same. They wouldn't necessarily run the third car or sell the third customer car. But what difference does it make if a random privateer such as you and I bought a customer car and set up a team, or Mauricio Mar doing it? Surely both could do it. You know what I mean? So if Marussia felt like that they weren't able, capable of designing a car as good as what they could get as a customer car, surely that option should be available to them if it's available to a private... Then, private... I, then they should run one car. If, they, so want, if they want to run two cars and be a proper team, and that's what I mean, you would okay. be a proper team. Completely... So the privateers could only allow to run the one car that they've bought. Yes. Yep. They wouldn't have two cars. Okay. Okay. I'm not so you, sure I like that, but okay. <laughs> but the reason I say it, and maybe it will help convince you, it, and it's the whole idea that there is a benefit from having two cars. A, you can score double the points. Um, B, you get the kudos of the fact that you design and build your own car. Um, so the privateers could maybe start off doing that and then look to as they get a bit more competitive look and make more money, invest, and then become a full yeah. team. As soon, as soon as they want to be a full team, then they can't they, buy a chassis, and they have to you know, build it from there, which, again, yeah. is no different than how the Toro Rosso's did yeah, it. The only thing that I dislike about that is, and then it does it, does it creates a, a works in privateer, and then you might as well have split formula the way they're doing like, uh, uh, touring cars and stuff, where you've got two different sort of categories and championships. Well, and I think you'd have to see how, how what the difference in speed was, really. And I'm not crazy about that idea, just from a point of... Um, well, no, it's just not Formula One to me. It's not what I know as Formula One, but... It certainly has been Formula One, though. In the past, probably, yeah. Uh, but, like, you know, you know, as you know, I'm, I started watching in the mid-90s, so to me, it's... It'd just be it'd just be strange for me. It'd just take some getting used to it to be able to see in that sort of works privateer. You'd have to tell me why uh, the privateer teams would necessarily be that much slower if they're getting a base unit from oh, yeah, a, I'm not a saying top they team. Might that, they might not be, yeah. They might not be at all. So, so. I mean, assuming that, I mean, obviously, if they were slower than the HRTs, then there's no point. We're, we're no better off than we were before. Um, but... Yeah, then you just have then you just have fifteen. But the Toro Rossos weren't. Workers. I keep on going back to them. Do you know what I mean? The, they they're, inherited they're the tech data basically. That's the only data that we've got to go on, really, because that's essentially what they did. So, do you know what I mean? They weren't. 
that you know they went from being were they uh, we always go through this you always remember and I never do were they Jaguar um yes Toro Rosso Jaguar Stuart morphed into Jaguar who morphed into Toro Rosso so do not mean the Jaguar team was a, a, a crappy back marketing they weren't doing anything yeah they were absolute garbage <laughs> and then Toro Rosso started inheriting the Red Bull chassis and they were um, mu- much better much no. more competitive I think we're talking rubbish I think we're talking absolute rubbish I'm sure Toro Rosso were Minardi <laughs> oh do you know what you might be right actually I am I am because Red Bull is Jaguar oh yes right <laughs> get it the yeah. right way around so right. we're getting confused because Toro Rosso Red Bull you know but yeah Toro Rosso but then uh, Comparison's the same, you know. Red Bull took Jaguar, invested a lot of money, and become a world beater. Uh, then they took Minardi. Toro Rosso bought Minardi, took the Red Bull dominant chassis, implemented their own bits and pieces here and there, and yeah, they became a stronger team than the Jaguar team they initially bought. So you're right. If a privateer did that, then hypothetically. They should be equal. They should be able to do equal to what Toro Rosso did then, hypothetically. Yes, I mean, the other thing that you can think of is we, we keep on saying the word privateer, which, which gives you the idea of some insanely rich bloke <laughs> buying, not, buying a Formula One car and be, being his own F1 driver and pretending and all the other bits and pieces. And we, I, we can never go back to that. When I say the word privateer, I think of like uh, like a, like an Eddie Jordan who just a, a man who loves the sport and invests all his life's work into getting into the sport and blood, sweat and tears and stuff like that. That's what I think of when I think of privateer. I think of guys like Jordan and guys like uh, Paul Stoddard and things like that. That's, the, that's what I think of when I think say the word privateer. But the other thing that maybe we haven't touched on is um, what about a 13 that has the chassis based on, you know, is again like a Toro Rosso. It's a, it's a secondary team inheriting some tech from the, the big team, but is a different racing mark altogether. So Ferrari have two Ferraris, um, and then there is uh, an Alfa Romeo, or a well, Mas- or a Maserati, or you know any of these. That would be nice, just from a sort of nostalgic markout moment for the the classic race teams like Alfa and, and Maserati. But then, what would who would own those teams then? Would Ferrari own them? Well, Ferrari what? Ferrari under the guise that they're all Fiat would. Yeah. In the same way that Red Bull owns Red Bull and Toro Rosso. But yeah. they run as two different racing entities. I wouldn't be against that either. Wouldn't be against that either. Um, so it's not private privateers. They're just still a separate team. Yeah. Would you then? Would you? But like when Toro Rosso did it, they had two cars, and you're saying they should have one car. So if Alfa Romeo decided to come into Formula One, and they were going to use Ferrari tech for the first five years or whatever. Would you let them have two cars or one car? It depends on what they wanted to do. But the whole point would be that if you wanted Alfa Romeo back with two cars, you'd they'd have their own team and they'd build their car from scratch. Right. But what so what I'm saying is that you you could have the teams come in with one car based off of, you know, a parent a parent team's car. They run that I mean you could hell, you could sign them up for a three year deal saying you will run a single chassis car for three years, and th- at that point, only then can you upgrade to being a a two-car team if you're, you know, if it's worthwhile. Um, many different scenarios that you would own. Like, yeah, that, again, that doesn't sound awful. What what I want is the best racing I can from the front to the back. Um, and three-car teams 
to me, is the best way of doing that in the fairest way possible. Because otherwise, and you mentioned it before, and I'm really glad you did, was the distribution of wealth. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that the back-end teams have a fighting chance and is the best way that you allow the back-end teams to have a hand in them by the bigger teams? I think uh, I mentioned this before. If I didn't, I meant to. The Super Bowl, uh, the NFL works in the draft is that whoever comes last gets the first pick in the draft. So not necessarily completely copying that system and having them having the teams choose tech or anything like that but just something slightly similar where the bottom end team gets something that the, the teams above them don't whether it be money or whether it be some form of testing days or expertise etc <laughs> the only problem i've got with that sean is that you know that by the end of the <laughs> the end of the season when one team realizes there's two teams at the back end of the grid, both fighting, and then they suddenly go, well, we're not going to fucking get anywhere. How badly yeah. do we need to lose the last three races <laughs> to get the extra match? How how much more important is it to be last than second to last? That's it. That is a problem. But then <laughs> you, you need to scale it, you know. I think testing, testing is a great example, but then obviously you've got the issues with funding testing. Can the, the lower teams afford to test, but then... Uh, I don't know. It's difficult. But again, yeah. that's that's why I'd hope that the, the the drip down of tech from a top team to the other team would help them do that. Yeah, it would mean that there would be less they'd have to do. They wouldn't have to do all the base testing to know that the yeah. the chassis does the right things. Um, I don't want them to. I don't want them to have all the aero. I don't want them to have all the tip, tips and tricks. Um, I just want them to have a decent base to start off from. You know, I want them to find. The double diffuser, the coander exhaust, the you know double Let DRS, or, or all those bits and pieces, because those are the little bits that um, any the, the team can come up. Make a world champion, yeah. They're the ones that that, that stand out from the crowd. But, but you could, so long as you can spend the time trying to find them, instead of sitting there going, "We've got a, a dog of a chassis," like yeah. the you know, think of the HRT or the or the Virgin and. Caterhams were when they first started and they were bricks absolute bricks barely able to do anything um. you're making great points Mags you really are uh, I just want to run this idea that I read by him I'd be curious to get your take on it because I don't personally like it but let's see what you have to say so one team gets a third car per race and it's only that team so say in Melbourne it's Red Bull and then of Malaysia, it's Ferrari, and so on and so forth throughout the season until every team's had one uh, one shot at having a third car. So therefore, it's you know there's no advantage for uh, everybody. There's no advantage over the course of a season of a Ferrari and a Red Bull being able to run a third car and the lower down teams not being able to. Now I can spot two or three glaring holes in that plan, but it's just something. It's just one of the. One of the options that I read online, I, and I don't, I, I don't think it's necessarily the best option by any stretch of imagination. But I just wanted to, to run it by you and see what you thought. I think the problem with that is, is I don't see why, I don't see the benefit in it. Yeah, no, I agree. You, you don't It's not, um, it's not a constant positive throughout the season. Um, plus, some cars work better on some tracks than the others, like. 
before this season, you know, the the Red Bulls had been pretty poor at the the low downforce circuits. Um, so what happens if they get Monza and Spa as their two two races to run a third car? They're going to be like, well, this is fucking pointless for us. It's not. Yeah, it's not worth it's not worth the money that it would cost to do it. You're right, and that's one of the holes I spotted in it. Plus, if we refer back to our, you know, talking about the opportunities for young drivers, there would be no opportunity for a young driver there. That's right. The biggest argument for me for the third car is is the extra drivers we've got on the grid. I'm a big campaigner of, as we've already discussed tonight, young guys getting a chance and stuff. So, yeah, you're essentially eliminating that. Yeah, like I, said, I didn't think it was that great an idea. I just wanted to run it by it. No, it's a bit of a strange one. I, I don't. Yeah, I just don't see the benefit for anybody involved. No, I, um, I agree. Like, I agree. Especially somebody who quite likes following drivers, you'd be really annoyed if the driver that you you oh yeah, I really like this guy, and then you don't see him for six races until <laughs> the next time he's got a race. Yeah, you're right. You'd get hiking over line and wheeled out by Cater on once every six months. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so like I said, I don't think that was necessarily a great idea, but I just thought I'd mention it. Interestingly, another note I have here is that, I, I think this is true, I've, I've just taken this off a website, so it could be bullshit for all, <laughs> it could be a rag, but... Who'd go on the internet and lie? <laughs> claims that IndyCar are running four-car teams next season, apparently. Oh. So that might be interesting, to just have a little eye over there and see how they're getting on doing that. I think what I want to see is that whatever the third car is, I kind of want it to be slightly different than the lead cars. Do, do see, you know I'm what I mean? Sure I do. I kind of want it to be exactly like the lead car. Oh, okay. I think that's where we differ. I think I'd like to just see three Ferraris instead of two, and three Red Bulls instead of two, and three McLarens instead of two. And what I'd maybe do is maybe increase the points down to 15th or something. And I think that, to me, as a viewer... Would probably be more interested. Well, I think I think you can go back to, and I, I like to refer to a, a good idea I've had in the past, uh, <laughs> was the idea that for the constructors, not the drivers, but the constructors went from first all the way down to last place yeah, um, with, with the points the in, the, in the reverse order. So, yeah, I think I said at the time that that was a pretty good idea, and that would make more sense then because it would give you more reason to want to have a third car on the team so you could increase. The mm -hmm. potential of points that you'd get, and it, you know, again, that you're running three cars, more, you know, it, it again makes the constructors more valid in a way because it's saying, um, you know, if I, if I can keep three cars running and in the po points, that's you know, kudos yeah, to absolutely. me, probably over a team that might have one really good driver who gets all the attention and then lets one or two other drivers sort of languish behind. Yeah, absolutely. I can imagine if you had Ferrari with Alonso, but then you had Massa and fucking someone else just getting very mediocre results. They'd probably end up about fifth in the Constructors' Championship, but they'd end up getting beaten by, like, say, a Force India, who had three consistently decent guys, rather than one star and two poor guys, you know? It would give, it'd be, it'd be make for an interesting dynamic in the Constructors' Championship, maybe make it a bit more interesting than, than what it has been for the last few years. But I, I quite like that idea. I, I like the idea of running three cars per team uh, with with increased points positions. Perhaps, like you say, keep the drivers the same but changing the instructors. I wouldn't. I, that would be fine. I just the only 
doubt I'd have then is you have to look at some of the cons for the three cars and that's maybe things like can everybody afford it you know are Caterham and Marussia going to be able to run three cars probably not no and that's the issue that you then have to deal with. You come up with this good system, oh yeah, we'll run three cars and we'll increase the points. So oh, everybody will be battling for points and it's all going to be great. And then someone goes, yeah, that sounds brilliant in theory, but can we afford it? No. So then you need to come up with an idea how to fix that. That's the next bit that's a bit more tricky to come up with, unfortunately. And it goes back to the wealth thing that we've already spoken about. Well, I suppose if you, if you then didn't outlaw customer cars, that would be fine if you had a, a Caterham McLaren or a you know, Marussia Ferrari, where they got, you know, they got the chassis from last year to, to be their base. and Yeah. Um, so would you then think you could go three Ferraris, three Red Bulls, three McLarens, and then three Caterham Ferraris and three Toro Rosso Red Bulls or whatever? Would you think that would be okay? I, I, I think so. Although I, I, I think you'd have to... Everybody would have to do three then, wouldn't they, really? You wouldn't be able to have two and three teams because a team with three in it will just always score more points than a team that well, that's has. It. I would like to see every... Oh, uh, uh, yeah, sorry. In my, in my uh, Formula One utopia, everybody's got three. It's just figuring out how to get the lower guys, your Toro Rosso's and your Marussia's, a four and three because I want to avoid the situation of them dropping off completely and you're ending up with only seven teams because I don't think ending up with only seven or eight teams is is ideal I want to have a dream world where everybody's got three and the bottom two guys can afford to also have three whether that means letting them have customer cars so you'd have three Ferraris and then three Marussia Ferraris customer cars being has for we've described tonight of just the chassis and the bits and bobs inside the chassis and then the Marussia have to design their own front and rear aero package and yeah. that to me just as I was just chewing the fat and coming up with it as on the fly sounds like a good scenario in my head I can't see too much wrong with that because Marussia then save all the money that they would spend on research and developing their chassis because they've customered it and then they can use that extra money to uh, run a third car and then you get you would get good racing you'd get points as you've already come up with the system for points all the way down the system out of the field so then the Marussia's running these customer cars would have a chance at getting these these points, which is certainly more points that they're going to get than the current system where they're getting fuck all. So yeah, I mean we we, we have to do away with the the silly rule that says you know you can go an entire season without scoring any points as a constructor. As a driver, I get it. You know you don't want to reward everybody for turning up and being five laps down at the end of the race and still scoring a world championship point. That's retarded. But if you're a constructor, you are turning up and you are putting in the same effort as everybody else on the grid, but getting royally fucked just because, you know, you don't have $20 billion to pour into your research and development like the Red Bull has. Yeah, I like I like, what, I like what we're coming up with. And another interesting point is, of course, if Marussia are running three cars, you know, that gives them another car that they can put... <laughs> Russia, Russian Dave and <laughs> Russian Dave sponsorship money, so they could afford to run the third car. <laughs> Russian, Russian Dave can probably fund the whole thing by himself. This is the thing, you know. You Russian put, Dave. you put, a, you put, a, you put a, a high, a high value sponsorship guy in the third car. Put Vladimir Putin in the third Marussia. 
Yeah, and then they can afford to they can afford to bang a shitload of development into the first two cars, and they might increase their performance. Yeah, yeah. that's true enough. That's, like it would. It, to be fair, it would make me feel less bad about pay drivers. Yeah, because they'd all be in the third car, and then you'd go, okay, I don't mind that because they've got two good drivers in the other car. Yeah. Look at fucking Sauber this year. Sauber could have had Sutil and Deresta, and then put Gutierrez or whatever in the, the third car. Same as like Ferrari or Lotus this year. They would have had Fernando Alonso, they would have had Kimi Raikkonen, and then, oh, we've got two world-class drivers, so we can take a punt on Jules Bianchi in our third car. That would be amazing. Oh. Again, yeah, it does open up that idea that somebody can say, well, we still got our first two driver license, driver lives, uh, driver lineup sorted. Nicely done, Andrew. Um, yes, yeah, let's let's see what okay, somebody Lewis. can do. Lotus could go. Oh yeah, we've got. Uh, we've got past Maldonado. Yeah, we've got thirty million for him, so we can afford to put Nico Hulkenberg in the car. It just, I get from a, just a neutral fan. It just, uh, I would much rather see a Ferrari team of Alonso, Raikkonen. Bianchi versus a Red Bull team of Vettel, Ricciardo and Algeschwari versus a team of Raikkonen, uh, Grosjean, Hulkenberg and Maldonado and the Lotus. And then do that all the way down. And yet, look at McLaren. McLaren's another great example. They could have went with Button, Perez and Magnussen this season. That would have been an amazing lineup. That would, would have been amazing. And you could have put Van Dorm in the second force, the, the last force India. Yeah. It's just... It's one of these things that it seems to all just be like, yeah, let's do it, man. <laughs> like, it's just a, like, I know there's an awful lot that we need to be changed and worked out, but there's a lot, to me, there's a lot of pros, like, a lot of pros. I guess the only difficulty is you've got to bugger about with all the garages, haven't you? <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a logistical thing that, that would need to dress. But I'm sure you could... You could, you could I bet do... there's, you've got to be able to put a temporary partition. Yeah, I don't believe that... It's like the fueling thing again. I don't believe that you wouldn't be able to come <laughs> up with a solution. You can design a fucking Formula 1 car that can do... We, four can, we can repaint and... the pit box wherever the fuck we want. Let's not be. <laughs> let's not kid ourselves here. Think of this as well. This is another interesting point that got brought up. If you've got three drivers in a team, say you've got a team of Magnussen, Perez and Button in the McLaren, right? You got three drivers all def- driving the exact same machinery, or, or more or less the exact same machinery. So it would be a really good gauge between the three drivers who's the best out of those three, rather than just having a one-on-one inter-team battle. You've got three; it's like a triple threat match over a singles match. You know, you got a, a completely different dimension there over who, to figure out who's the best guy in that team. Plus, the, the other interesting thing is that <clears throat> you you know at the moment we we get things like split strategy, where one person does one and the other person does the other. Because they can't decide. But you've yeah. got three of you. That's three different strategies you could run to, you know. I absolutely. I just, I think there's enough good pros to give it a, a serious consideration in my opinion. Eh? I think they do. I think there's there's things that you have to, like the cost thing, you have to work out a way of doing it. But, I, you know, I think the idea of allowing, you know, allowing teams to buy in, a, a chassis to build as the base of their car it, it would be interesting to see how much that that saves a team I, I think I think you're right I think we go constructor points all the way down the grid third cars allowed if a lower down team wants to buy a constructor chassis they can do so to help them fund their three teams 
I think to me that's the best sort of solution at the moment, in my opinion. He could even implement a little rule that said, oh, you have to come in the bottom five in the championship or whatever to be allowed to do customer cars or something like that. Yeah, or, or be brand new to the. Yeah, or yeah, something like, or been with it, been in the sport less than five years or whatever. You know, like that that would be fine. I wouldn't be against a rule like that. Actually, that that five year rule is quite a nice idea because it gives you five years to build your team, get your engineers in, find out what you can and can't do, you know, and all the other bits and pieces. Then after five years, you should probably be in the in the bit where you've looked at the, the five chassis you've received over the last five years and gone, I think we can do this now. And then, yeah, upgrade to being your, you know, your own proper team. Absolutely, because it's not supposed to be easy. You don't want it to be too simple. You know, after five years, you should be ready to fucking move on a bit on the in the ladder, so to speak. So, yeah, I I like I like what we've sort of come up with this evening. I like the few that little bullet points of lists there. That to me is a good compromise on everything so far. And I'd even go as far as saying something like, right, tenth place in the constructors gets. A bonus of one million pounds or whatever and then ninth place gets 100 grand less or whatever you know scale it to the correct scale whatever it may be just have sort of the the lowest team getting a little bit more than and then so far so like up the ladder so that the top team gets a bonus of slightly less just to try and balance out the the wealth a little bit that, that i wouldn't be completely against that no, I think that's. I think that works really, really nicely. Actually, I think that 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 would that addresses all the points that need to be addressed to make it a sensible and viable idea in my in, in my book, anyway. Yep, and it's F one, so of course the we'll implement all that, and they'll still come up with a way to, to <laughs> ruin it all. Absolutely, fuck it, won't they? On paper, on paper, we have what seems to me like a good a good system for three car teams, in my opinion, and. As a fan, as a viewer that gets up on a Sunday in the early morning too all too often to watch it, that would make it an exciting on the track product for me to watch. And that's at the end of the day, that's what I pay my money. That's what I pay Sky a fortune to see. So that yeah, I like I like what we've come up with as a fan, as a as a neutral. Excellent. Well, I think that um, on that positive note, that, yeah. that takes us <laughs> nicely to the end of the podcast once we're, once we're not actually moaning about something whereas we'll get to the end of the podcast amazing we've covered an hour and I haven't had a bitch about Maldonado it's fucking amazing <laughs> <laughs> superb superb well I wonder what price on the bookies you'll get him to win a race next year <laughs> <laughs> well I want to know what the price is before he um, before he's used up his 20 million in uh, used car yeah. pieces fucking hope so it's a shame because I like Lotus and I want them to do well, but then I, I'm com- I'm very conflicted. Like, oh, one used to do well because I like the team, but goddamn you, Maldonado. <laughs> well, on that slightly less positive note, as we've managed to turn it around in the last thirty seconds of the podcast. Always, um, always, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for listening, everybody. I hope uh, I hope you've enjoyed this uh, slight change to our format, and you've um, you found what we've been talking about interesting and has raised some. Uh, some different points and interesting things you may or may not have thought about Formula One in before. And if you've listened and thought that you'd like to put in your uh, your two pence worth and and put in your ideas about what could make this sport that we all love just that little bit better, please come on the show. Um, so that uh, all that's left for me to do is just thank you all for listening. You can follow us 
on the Twitter sphere at Final Lap Podcast. You can like our page, and we hope you do, at The Final Lap Podcast on uh, Facebook. You can also def- follow our degenerative tweets from uh, Sean and I personally. My uh, Twitter handle is at Megs. And I'm uh, TW underscore magic. Uh, also like to give out a couple of shout outs to a couple of nice uh, people on Twitter who've uh, helped retweet some of our episodes. So that's a big thanks to at WTF1.co.uk, which is the best URL for an F1 site I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> and, and is actually a really good web, uh, website about Formula One, very humorous. Um, and also to at F1 official fans. Um, for uh, for a retweet of our episodes uh, and a special mention although they haven't retweeted us yet to uh, at uh, bad f1 stats uh, that's a very very funny uh, twitter uh, f1 humorous twitter account that you should definitely be following if you are not already um, and on that note again thanks for listening and we will see you soon bye bye cheers So all that remains is for me to, again, thank you for listening. Um, please follow us uh, on Twitter at Final Lap Podcast. Like our page on... Oh, my God, John, John's died again. <laughs> is, is that, did that make a big noise? Massive noise. I was just opening the door. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that okay. bit again, but that was, that was too funny. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, okay, wrap it up, and we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> On you go. I'll try not to make any noise the last minute. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <clears throat>